So what's coming up for me as I um, consider this time together to try to, in a way, focus on a line of teaching that is coherent so one's getting a sense of a um, themes being presented from a particular point of view so you can kind of measure it in that way and you can keep coming back to the same kind of reference points which is what I personally feel is useful in the teaching you can hear you know a range of teachers giving different teachings which can be all valid and beautiful but uh, if you're getting different perspectives you know problem is it doesn't necessarily build up into a something that uh, you keep referring to checking out testing that particular line of inquiry yeah. so it's just a line of inquiry um, kind of offering if you like or a line of contemplation I'm offering there's something that I at this time particularly to something I hope will be a benefit to examine closely in a meditation but also from that we can draw inspiration to how we live our lives outside of the sitting still Kaya Viveka experience into the more active experience um, this is why well, the themes coming up for me is one of um, selfless persons you have to be a person without being a self because <laughs> no. what we this is very much still working on the level of manifest conditioned reality and this is the basically an approach that my feeling is that this kind of really helps us with the way we live our conventional lives you know, as parent people you know, so you don't just kind of pass the buck by saying there's nobody really here <laughs> To, to do this or not do that, you know. Uh, is this a, really, also this is the Theravada approach, actually, that comes from the suttas, Pali suttas, anyway, where you don't really get a lot on the unconditioned or Nibbana or the nature of Buddha. It's the Buddha practices don't bother to think about that, drive you nuts. Uh, all that can be said about it, you can't say anything about it. That's really interesting. You can't say anything about it. It must be that unsayable thing that you can't say anything about. We need to talk about that. Yeah. So don't bother going there. Oh, that looks really interesting. What's the actual nature of the unconditioned reality? Is it a formless space? Don't bother trying to define it. It doesn't do you any good. It must be the undefinable state of non-grasping emptiness, suchness in the luminous no-no. Don't bother defining it. You don't need to do that. That sounds a bit kind of mundane, dualistic. I should be able to define it with a kind of enlightened <coughs> consciousness. Enlightened consciousness is like this. And the Buddha is saying, there's no way you can track it or define it. So... You know, what actually the Buddha is presenting is not a state, <coughs> however refined or subtle or so-called enlightenment, doesn't even really talk about enlightenment per se. Um, but stop defining. You could put it down that, stop doing that. Yeah. You realize how, how difficult that is. You know, the mind wants to define something as something so, well you can define what can be defined don't try and define what can't be defined you define what can be defined and you keep it clear and steady the undefinable <laughs> that takes care of itself because you know you're not 
your energies are contained and collected and steadied so they're not spinning out and you realize manifestly on the condition level you're not stressed suffering confused reaching into possibilities in imaginations something has stopped and these terms stopped undefined not going there you know kind of you know irritating for the thinking mind but actually they are they're quite simple sort of guidelines you know stop suffering stop suffering stop stressing if you're reaching out you're stressing and say well but on the other hand you define very clearly what can be defined be with that very fully very clearly be a full person that which can be defined and don't generate this imaginary notion of some sort of being this or being that as some ultimate state or nature or essence that could be enlightened or would be enlightened or isn't going to be enlightened is on the wheel, half on the wheel neither on nor off in or out, up or down don't don't do that because when you do it's subject to speculation curiosity, fascination comparisons, conceits restlessness, it just stirs you up Mm -hmm. but define clearly what can be defined be with that very fully and then the the pressures and the restlessness and the mental agitation cease suffering ceases stress ceases agitation ceases this is what I'm offering (laughs) So, you know, what you can know about Buddhas, what you can't know about them is the, is the ultimate range of enlightenment. What you can know about them is that they have, they manifest in terms of, you know, walking around, they still got bodies, some kind of body is there, they're breathing in and out. They seem to think, formulate concepts and ideas, they have feelings and they interpret what's going on around them, pleasant, unpleasant skillful, unskillful they're very full full on about that they define clearly and they respond clearly to what can be worked with and the rest of it is a stopping so there's a person there just like like me you know that respect we're no different I am Buddha, same thing except (laughs) there's a little bit of going on isn't there so this is what we are being fully uh, conscious of what makes up a person the constituents of a person the five aggregates the elements and very very, uh, speaking very simply in this particular configuration this sense of the Kaya, embodiment, jitta, effective, mind, heart, and vajra, intellect, speech, formulations of ideas and concepts. That's one way of describing it. And uh, what you... uh, So then then to know what... uh, what you can know is what's skillful and unskillful in those, in terms of that. What's stressful and unstressful in terms of that. What's suffering and no suffering in terms of that. That's what you work on. Mm. A sense of quite some, some immediacy and pragmatism around that how we're able to, how there's the ability to be embodied, be able to function, think, conceive, formulate, respond, be sensitive, without stressing. What's skillful, what's unskillful? 
not just in terms of uh, approved, but what really brings around stress, suffering. This is the way one should consider. This is wise consideration. And then you're deepening that inquiry into this person. So something like how you, how the breathing is, how that affects your whole body. This is actually, you know, a kind of palpable, tangible thing. We can't necessarily immediately right now deal with all the uh, problems and confusions of the world or our life, but we can at least work on this one. And the, the benefit of this is it has much, a far more far-reaching effect than just um, um, feeling calm or steady in the body sense. Because if, when you work on that, you work on the energetic source from which the mind and the heart arise. It's the same thing. It's called Ayu Sankara, or the life force patterning life force energy, the dynamics of being. You know, so you've got a fundamental you know, process that's keeping this whole, this personhood moving and changing and vibrant and growing and dying and, and thinking and feeling and sensing. The whole thing is just coming in waves, isn't it? Waves of sensation, waves of um, moves, waves of thoughts. It's this and what's 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 that where's that current coming from? This is the life force, mm. and it occurs both in you know something we can sense, also something we can just you can witness it. You can witness a baby growing from a tiny little thing to a to a large thing. And what's actually keeping that going? Mm. So this is the Ayu Sankara, and then it forms into, into these uh, kind of continual regenerative process of breathing in and out, which is what transfers um, raw food into, into energy. Don't breathe in and out, stuff all the food you like into your mouth, you're still going to die. Stop breathing for one, for a few minutes, you're going to die. So that's 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 the essence of it. That's what keeps it going. But more than that, the, the whole system is is attuned to this this en- energy. And uh, breathing out just kind of regulates it, steadies it. That's the kaya sankara. Chitta sankara is the is the feelings. These are the, uh, the mental feelings. The way that what gets internalized. What gets internalized as I be I am experiencing this. So we may, in fact, the body may be experiencing discomforts, but we're busy reading a book, engrossed in the television, don't notice it. You know, really engrossed in something, you don't notice the itch or the rash or the, you know, some discomforts or another. Really absorbed in something, you don't notice uh, what would other be fairly... um, apparent levels of discomfort or that the body may be experiencing because you're so wrapped up in it. You know, it's why you're doing kind of these vigorous adventure sports or, you know, when it can be physically look pretty, pretty painful, but actually you're in this kind of tremendous high. The physical feeling's not getting in there because there's this huge, uh, you know, the mental feeling or the emotional feeling, the feelings really affecting you is being generated by the excitement or the energy or the adrenaline. So you don't, these other things don't occur until you stop. And you feel completely bashed up because suddenly all that internal stuff dies away and you're just left with the physical stuff. This is a kind of principle of jhana, really. 
whereby you, you you kind of generate a particular, you feed you feed your mind into a particular um, input for the feeling tone, and you move it away from the physical. You know. So, but essentially, the point to recognise is is the the effective heart is is being moved continually by by by. By, by internalized feeling, feelings of happiness or unhappiness. And a lot of that is not based upon the physical at all. A lot of it's built around meaning, perception, significance, interpretation, impressions. Yeah. Friendly, unfriendly, praised, blamed, high, low, ignored, uh, given attention, lifted up, pushed down, you know, these things, respected, not respected, so forth. Winning, losing, secure, insecure, the future, the past who I am, what I'm not, what people think I am, what people don't realize I am, what I should be, what I could be, what I will never be. This is the stuff that is, sits in there and generates huge amounts of feeling. Uh, and then the, what is feeling? Pleasant, painful, neutral. Well, actually, you come down to really examining the experience of feeling. There's a kind of an energy there, isn't it? The thrilling charging, there's a huge charge or push with feeling. So when you've begun to in, begin to interpret and understand the breathing in terms of, it, of an energy form, it's why this is in a way you're kind of, you're, you're working base. You begin to actually stop defining breathing in terms of just some air going out your nose. You try to get the real essence of it, this this flush in movement, kaya sankara, patterns of bodily energy. Then you begin to tune into that, that level of experience, which is there for all of us. Actually, something immaterial, like a feeling, you can experience it in the same way as this kind of, if you're happy, as a sort of fizzing, expanding, buoyant, flowing, charged, there's that charge, feeling unhappy, kind of pressed, dark, compressed, tight, you know, fretful. There's a different kind of energy. But they both have push to them. Simply speaking, you might say one pushes you up, the other one pushes you down. It could be that kind of sense. Happy feeling if you're lifted up, top of it, you know, like a fountain is lifting you up. Unhappy feeling avalanche crashing down on you, crushed, you know, and the energy, you know, and it's, it's a real thing, you can't say I'll snap out of it, <laughs> it's only a feeling, somebody else's feeling one could say that about, <laughs> cheer up, never mind, you'll get over it. But the feelings on, on your back, you know, <laughs> you're not so philosophical anymore. <laughs> you know, Nietzsche Dukanata stuff. <laughs> so it, it, you know, it really affects, it contracts the heart. You know, pleasant feeling contracts the heart in a sort of in a way in which we grasp it to have more unpleasant feeling contracts the heart, which we kind of tighten up to defend ourselves against it. This is why you begin to recognize actually you don't want big hunks of feeling one way, either one or the other. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you don't have happy, then unhappy. But really, you know, you don't want to be that kind of excitedly happy in that sense either because it just uh, stirs everything up 
and uh, you've got this huge amount of energy to, to, to try to, to um, handle, synthesize, cope with, be with, formulate. Because the third kind of sankara is, that we all have is vajji sankara, which is, what do I make of this? You know, what's the right, wrong, good, bad, happy, unhappy? You know, this is the sort of part of what we have. You know. And it's that which is helping us to say, well, where should I go from here? What should I make? What should I make of this? Mm-hmm. What's this about? Is this for my welfare or not? It's that. It's helpful, you've got one of those. It's an adult and a child. The child hasn't quite got that one together yet. So it really needs the adult to guide it. Unfortunately, most adults don't really get it together either. You get it together around a lot of apparent things that would make us happy, that we're told make us over our welfare, that really we don't get told the main thing is for our welfare, which is to understand and penetrate feeling and meaning and perception. So everything, you know, you know, having a good job makes you happy, getting a decent house makes you happy. Yeah. A lot of unhappy people with jobs out there. You know, it goes so far. It goes so far, it's not to be discounted, and yet you realise it's just a means to, an, to a higher end. You don't want, to, don't want to just see that as the ultimate, that you want to get the best possible. Just enough. Just enough. And the Buddha said, yeah, you do need you do need shelter. You do need medicine, you do need food. You can close. Kind of get those things together. But only enough, just what you need. So you can't place it as an ultimate, but you can't also push them aside either. It's just it's a step, isn't it? It's the right way. But as an adult, you want to also know that much. Just that much, that's enough. There's other things, you know, that, you know, will be for our ultimate welfare. It's to penetrate feeling, perception. So we're not pushed by these, we're not crashed by these, we're not thrown around by these. It's a matter of scanning the heart, with this, with this, uh, with our, with our intelligence, seeing what is my wealth and what isn't, what is stressful, what is not, where does that end? What's skillful and what isn't skillful? That's the fundamental question. You know, it's not necessarily verbalized. Not necessarily, you know, held as a thought, but that kind of intent is there. And you establish that intent. This is really the helps us with everything we do, from meditation to conversation to social interactions to the way we live our life. You know, it goes right getting a right intent there what's skillful and what's unskillful, given this, given this body, you know, given this society, given this setup, you know. And to just, you know, cut what could be a long story short, you know, what is uh, to our aim for the meditation retreat is to, to investigate chitta and this remember this kind of phrase chitta is condition dependent upon perception and feeling feeling and this is the internalization experience something getting me something's pushing me 
on a very instinctive level. Energies are collecting in a certain way, inclining towards this, they're retracting from that. Whether it's physical contact, visual impressions, uh, mental impressions, thoughts, something's pushing me this way, pushing me that way, spinning me, spinning around. You can feel, you don't worry about what I'm talking about when I say me, you can feel that energy is being shoved, pushed, crushed, blown out, blown around. Mm. This is, uh, can't really, you know, be clear about this, can't really work with this, you know, or to, to kind of steady it. And then begin to, what is the feeling based upon? So when the feeling is based upon breathing in and breathing out, purely, there's a sense of that's steady, that's reliable, that's, it happens, you're going to have to try to breathe in and out. There's no um, personal issues of breathing in and out. There's no unfairness or fairness about breathing in and out. We don't have to judge who breathes in and out best. Tanutro can't breathe in and out very much these days. <laughs> but the little bit he's got is just as good as anybody else's. So, you know, you don't want to, it's just kind of what, what's there. You work upon the energies that are there. And you feel the steadying effect of that. Now when we sit in this Kaiviveka, or without it, with it or without it, then all kinds of um, perceptions and meanings come into the mind, into the heart. It looks for them. It's used to being conditioned by perceptions and feelings. So it's, you know, breathing in and out, oh, okay, well, that's happening, fine, okay, well, now, you know, what else is going on? Got that one. And so, so how am I doing? Am I good? Am I bad? Am I, is this working for me? Is this not working for me? Oh, dear, you know, mind's wandering, oh, dear, bad, wrong, oh, dear, upset, meaning, meaning, not can't do this. Meaning stuck here for another nine days, oh my God. Meaning life as a monk means doing this forever. Meaning trapped, meaning in prison, meaning get me out of here, I can't act another moment of this, you know. Hit the wall, bang. Um. <laughs> yeah, or, other, or the mind drifts off and we wander about our life, where we're going, what we're going to be doing so forth, stuck in here, day in, day out, oh my God, get me out of here. You know, it'd be nice if it was more this or more that. So we get sense, sense, desire pulls us, or we start to remember things, the mind searches around for a meaning, well, nothing's much going on here, let's dredge up something from the past. You know, got to have a, some kind of meaning to get going on, so let's remember you know, we remember old love affairs, well, let's give them one more fling. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, minor intellectual speculations. Still trying to remember who took over building the Vatican, after, building St. Peter's after Michelangelo died. It's been bothering me for a while. <laughs> So these kinds of things. I remember once trying to figure out who wrote the William Till Overture. My mind just went through every composer in European music till I finally got down to Rossini. I knew it couldn't be a German. Couldn't have done the William Till. It was much too buoyant. <laughs> I went through Dvorak. Chopin, no, no, no. Mendelssohn, no. Beethoven, no. Tennyson, no. I finally got, God, it must be an Italian. Only an Italian could have written the William Till Overture. <laughs> took about an hour and a half of meditation <laughs> my mind wasn't going to give up though <laughs> so stop it, you don't need to know this right now right 
Maybe it was... No, no you don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a little less frustrating than trying to work out the nature of the unconditioned. <laughs> but you can see the habit. God damn it. You know, what a thing this is. So these are the kind of things it goes into, isn't it? You know, all the resentments, you know, the things that they did to me, things they didn't do to me, things they should have done to me, things they're probably going to do to me. <laughs> you know, depending on the society or the group or the community or the family or the relationship you're in. You know, I say we're all in that, aren't we? So we can bring up those kinds of meanings. Community life is always a, you know, this kind of familial context. You know, higher and lower, better and worse, junior, senior, in power, in charge, not in charge, and these kinds of things can be sources of intense, lot of feeling around those particular meanings because we make so much value personal value out of it and you get hammered silly by this stuff you get hammered by it we get hammered by it you know? you do need to get hammered by it no count nobody listens to me just told to shut up and what, put, make the gruel <laughs> So somewhere in the middle, you know, I've been here a few years, I know what's going on, it's about time somebody's... <laughs> I've been here four years, five years, I know, I'm not just a novice, I should be given some bit more clout than this, you know, rumble, rumble, rumble. I shouldn't be told what to do, the senior, up the top of the line. I wonder if I'm doing well enough. Why do I have to tell everybody else what to do? I'm fed up with doing this, am I good enough? All these kinds of things we can make. Or oh, the projections. I should be, as a junior person, I should be totally keen, willing, obedient, devote my lifeblood to the service of the Buddha Sasana in complete impeccable purity and not one sinful thought will ever enter my mind. That one wears off after a couple of years. <laughs> to other kinds of things, you know. Am I authentic? Am I real? Am I alive? Am I being fully, you know, full being in my personhood or something of this nature? And then this kind of, uh, you know, what praise and blame do to us? Or being, uh, you know, put up and put, not put up, you know, stuck at the top, not put at the top feel jealous, disregarded, or, God, I wish I could get out of the spotlight, everybody's looking at me all the time, supposed to be perfect, these kinds of things. You get hammered silly by this stuff, trying to get it right, trying to feel comfortable in it. There's no way to feel comfortable in any of this. There's no way to feel comfortable as a man, a woman, a lay person, an agarica, a monk, or a nun. There's no way to feel comfortable in any of this at all as far as I can see, <laughs> the bits that I've been in, there is no way to feel comfortable in any of that. All that meaning will not give you a sense of real comfort. It provides some comfort, some of the time. Being a monk is a, or a nun is incredible joy, you know, in the sense of, uh, you know, you, you're in something that was there for your welfare, you have the possibility of meditation, you have the sense of really, um, you know, being offered so much. But the main point of it for all of us is we can attend to, do I keep sealer or not? Whether you're a monk, layperson, junior, senior, just, do you, you're getting meaning out of whether people like me, dislike me, whether I'm considered charming, popular, brilliant speaker or a, or a dimwit, do, do I speak harmlessly and honestly when I can? You know, do I act in purity? In the sense of seal, that's the thing to get your meaning from. 
And then if you feel some doubt or confusion about that, clear that. And then do you do you attend to cultivate meditation? No. How are you doing with that? This is something to 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 get some sense of, you know, what is really required. Can you get into the presence of your body? Can you breathe in and breathe out? It's kind of things like this. You know how to acknowledge the mental state and work with that. This is this is something to attend to. Do meanings and perceptions still catch you? This is something to attend to. Not whether there are any or whether you're getting the right one. Do you believe in any of them? That's something to attend to. Not whether you're getting the best one. Because there isn't one. You know, you could become a, as a monk, you become a Tanchakun, Somdet, something or the other. Big deal, you know. means you can, you can bless bridges and bless tractors and receive dignitaries and talk nonsense all day long. Be asked to go off and adjudicate at state banquets or tend to administration. Wow, fantastic. <laughs> Just what I always wanted. So there isn't really, a, you know, so, oh, wow, he's a one of those, fantastic, you know, great, and he's got this name, and everybody looks up to him, and he gets his name on brochures and gets invited to this, that, and the other, fantastic, wow, wow, you know. You know. But if you get any of this stuff, you realise it's more a hassle, and uh, any of it, fame, praise, is a hassle. More expectation more things you've got to deal with. Don't want it. Can't say you want blame either. But the point is that this is going to happen anyway. You're going to get praised and blamed. Remember I was travelling when I was in... uh, uh, I met this a few years ago. I was with a junior monk who was just coming along to attend, and he sort of I taught retreat, and he's kind of sat there at the time, you know, and you know, feeling a bit kind of confused and slightly out of it. And the end of it, people say, "Wow, that junior monk—he was fantastic. He sat like a rock. I could feel his energy, his presence." And he says, oh, you sort of sat there feeling confused and fuddled (laughs) for 10 days. You got praised. (laughs) And of course, you know, whatever you do, praised, blamed. What you didn't do or should have said or, you know, said too much, didn't say enough. So the point really is, does any of this really, do you check in yourself, what are you trying to do? You know, what are you looking for? What what is your intention? Don't get caught in all these meanings that the world lays on you or you end up laying on yourself. Even being, you know, a good meditator or not a good meditator, that spins you out. Trying to get it right spins you out. Getting it wrong spins you out. You know, this is the level of mental karma. It's not about getting it right or getting it wrong. It's about coming out of that defining mode. So much direct sense of balancing the energy. So you don't have to go into defining perceptions and meanings. This is the way out. That's the real ultimate skill. The Buddha called it the breaking up of name and form. Name defining is perception, feeling, and sankharas. 
So it's volitional, particularly volitional tendencies, how a particular meaning triggers off. You get this reflex twitch of you getting it right. Ooh, 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 getting it wrong. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Praise, ha, 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 blame. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You know, you get this kind of pull, this tug. And then the feeling starts pushing, doesn't it? What else pushes? Apart from that. So in a way it gets very simple. You don't want to be pushed around. Stop. <laughs> Stop. And because uh, this is this is very difficult to wean the chitta from perceptions and meanings. So, well, okay, well, then, you know, come out of that level of it. Just go to the perception and meaning of breathing in and out. Yeah, it's good enough. It's everybody's got one. It's going to be there for your lifetime. And after that, don't worry about it. You know, what you do when you're dead, you'll figure out. So when you've got this thing going, this is reasonable and it is therapeutic and it uh, can make you feel good. And you get these rather pleasant feelings, perceptions and feelings of pity, sense of kind of amazement, freshness, rapture, vitality, of lifting kind of quality and ease. You feel comfortable, settled. You know, satisfied. That's rather so. You can do that. You have opportunity to do that. You do that, then you know many things become more possible. For a start, you've actually weaned. Just you're looking in the right, a more useful place. You're coming out of the wrong place to look. Anyway, it's not as if this is ultimately the right place either. But at least it's it's a step in the away from the wrong places. This is kind of the approach of the Buddha, really, saying, you know, not so much what is, but what isn't. Saying, well, that's definitely out, you know. You live in that level of, of socialized meanings and perceptions and ideas about yourself. You're really going to be in the brambles. You're really going to be in the jungle in there. You're never going to stop running while you're in there. Get out of that one. <laughs> you know, go forth. This is what it really means, you know. It's inner meaning. It's not really about a convention. You can, you know, monastic or lay, but it's really about this kind of shifting from those, those looking in that particular place. And then, well, stop doing that. Then come to this. Ah, because you, in order to come out of that, you we want to find you got to find somewhere else to go to. So you go to this. And that has its effect. Because in the doing of that, there's the pleasantness, but also more important than even the pleasantness, which has its own value in keeping us steady and, and some sense of uh, uh, easing the anxiety and the stress in our lives. There's also what, what has happened in order to do that is actually a tremendous amount of skill has been acquired. You know, skill in discernment, that's skillful, that's unskillful. You know, that spins me out, that, that stops. That's where it stops. That's discernment. And this is what the point of the, the third of uh, these formations, Vajisankara is. This is kind of sense. That's where you, you kind of scan. It's where your wisdom faculty is born from that thing. Mm. That kind of uh, scanning of 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 the of the chitta, the heart. So just to do this, just to even know where to look, is considered a major source of blessing. You know, major result. You're on the right track. You know where you're going. You know where to look and where to stop looking. Mm. And uh, you've developed discernment. 
develop decision about what food you're going to taste, take in. Don't take in the junk. And you begin also to recognize that the real basis of, of skill is something and, and release from stress in the here and now is bound up with our in, in, nature of our intention. This is where morality is so such a helpful guideline, not purely as an external form of you've got to do this, you can't do that, but real sense of what's called hiriotapa, mean real sensitivity to cause and effect. This mood, this feeling, if I pick this up and follow it, it's going to go that way. That will be stressful, that will be cause suffering, this will cause um, these kind of uh, pressures to, for myself or for others. You just loosen, let go of that one. You get a real sense of that of the potency of, of what our hearts can create, the real potency of that, of our intentions. Our intentions are manipulative, scheming, not pure, not clear. Our intentions are furtive or dismissive or you know, this kind of mildly abusive if you like, caricaturing people, delighting, gossiping in other people's um, misfortunes or blemishes. You know, where's that going to go? Putting people down, putting ourselves down. Where's that going to go? You know, the kind of little levels of, of morality that are perhaps not written out there in block capitals, but begin to be cautious about the nature of your intent, what you delight in, you know, so because the glow of delight can be blinding. So we, we begin to really recognize all that is delightful is not necessarily skillful. Some of it is skillful, some of it isn't skillful. So you get discernment there about cause and effect. both in terms of your external behaviour and in terms of your behaviour towards your, yourself. If I continue to beat myself up, this does not pull me into shape. <laughs> it knocks me about. You know, so we, sometimes we can do this, kind of continue putting ourselves down. This is not skillful. doesn't actually you know, make me a better person. It just makes you feel more depressed. Um, so there's a sense of real learning to, and knowing to respect oneself, respect one's intent, value that. There's a good, right, a good effect. Looking after yourself is to be encouraged in this respect. And we see that the main way in which we look after itself is I want to make sure I can uh, really be clear about my behavior. Then I will not have remorse and regret. I want to be really clear about what I'm doing will actually support my meditation. Then my mind will not, I will not be continually putting myself into situations which, you know, throw me out. Make me lose the thread of that. This is looking after yourself. So then we find particular, this we begin to, what actually, we've got this body, heart, need to work on skillfulness, unskillfulness, Stress, not stress. What actually do I choose to meditate upon? You know, what do I bring my attention to bear upon? And there may be a range of things. You know, it could be reflections, gratitude, 
considering the welfare that's been, you know, dwell upon that, which gives, gives rise to encouragement, inspiration, willing, willingness. You know, examples of others, sense of your own validity, um, realizations of, of the, the good you've done, um, recognitions of the, the, you know, the unskillful things we haven't done. <laughs> Or realizations one has done unskillful things but has stopped doing them. <laughs> you know, so these can be ways in which we consider, reflect, rather than regret and doubt and failure and so forth. Gratitude, um, acknowledgement of the what we have present for us: this human birth, this human body, this form. And certainly, you know, if you living the renunciate life, a tremendous possibility there to feel the sense of, you know, endless sense of gratitude for just being given the life support. And the things we don't have to, to, to fight and struggle over. Yeah. So then this gives rise to Pamoja, delight, and then, you know, we may just then satisfy the heart with that. Matters of the concept, you know, what we can can be dealt with, about life can be dealt with. We just we're focusing the body, sense of the body, the elements of the body, the breathing in and out. It's the fundamental well, being here, presence, settledness or not settledness bringing ourselves into this sense of the immediacy where energy, you can actually focus on your the energies from which your impulses derive. So, skillful intention, and the most skillful intention is to relinquish intentionality, because intentionality is always going to be producing more stuff that needs to be dealt with, and so forth, and so forth, and so forth. It goes on and on and on. Good stuff, bad stuff, pretty good stuff, not such good stuff. And it arises and it passes. That's karma. So, essentially, you want to, you know, what is that, what feeds that? It's not just ideas, that the, the, what it draws from is a particular energy to keep it going. So naturally, you know, we can titillate that with ideas of enlightenment or something or the other, and energy rises up to that, and rises up to that, and rises up to another thing. And there's a certain value in that, and just enough rising up to get yourself into, into some clarity and some presence, and then you don't want to keep kind of rising up, rising up, rising up. Try, you know, it's like continue trying to leap over a bar that's going higher and higher, just enough to, to get you upright, and then process much more beginning to re- release intention from becoming and furthering into just contentment, satisfying, easing, releasing, soothing, stopping. So the energy is then just no longer pushed up or pushed down, drawn forward, pushed back. Certainly it's better to lift it rather than to crush it down. But there's a point in which this is enough. The What I need to do that has been done, I'm now upright. And let's just contemplate within that uh, form, the upright mind, the upright heart, the upright body, feel the energy of that. Is there somewhere it wants to go? Where is there to go?
the only where is another idea and perception, isn't it? You don't want any more of those. You don't want a perception of Nibbana, a perception of the unconditioned, a perception of enlightenment. Stop doing that. This kind of little, one of these pithy, cryptic remarks that these enlightened beings um, come out with that first don't seem to mean very much. This is one of Sari, Elder Sariputta, and he's saying, as they're asking about what his experience of, of in Nibbana awakening was, he said, Well, this, this perception arose in my, in my mind. Nibbana is the end of becoming. Nibbana is the end of becoming. Nibbana is the end of becoming. That perception arose in my mind and then fluttered out. <laughs> Stop doing that. So for the Certainly these enlightened beings is what we can see or consider apparently. They seem to move around, eating, breathing, sleeping, deciding things. (laughs) Where to go and what to do and so forth. So all those faculties are still present. But they're not not finding a kind of you know, they're not creating themselves around that. They're not holding on to this. They know that the the value of that, how to handle it skillfully, how to discern the meaning of it, how to determine what's skillful and unskillful within that, how to to generate uprightness out of the fabric of what happens to us in our lives, our context how to discard what's, what's painful out of our lives and our context, how to not dwell upon what's painful or displeasing out of our lives and context, bring in what's upright and then stop. So this uh, morning, it's a time to uh, continue practicing Something you um, you might like to walking meditation, standing meditation, also reclining meditation, reclining mindfully. You might like to practice this since you're probably going to recline sooner or later. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you do at night. <laughs> That's what I, if you've got any senses of what you do. So you might as well make a practice out of it. And so sometimes even reclining when you're not, you know, sleepy or, or dull or whatever, just because it, it helps to, to shift energy. There's a certain amount of, of uh, you know, sitting. You have to be very, very skillful to, to be really free from minimal, even a minimal amount of stress in it, in the body, so just being able to recline and, and uh, you know, let the muscles, the tissues relax in that particular way and just feel the energies change. You do it very consciously, so if you can, you can lie on your back when you put your legs in an arch so the knees point to the ceiling and the soles of the feet on the floor, you've got this kind of arch and this kind of feel, sense of your whole body and feel how the the sense of the body has changed. The inner sense of, you know, how you sense your body has changed. And the, probably the trigger will come, okay, take a nap. So you might very well <laughs> really fall asleep. <laughs> but if, if possible, try to uh, avoid, stave off that moment a little longer. Uh, and this practice mindfulness of breathing. Practice awareness of the body from the soles of the feet up to the crown of the head. 
the pressures of the weight of the body on the floor, the feeling of how the muscles relax, certain lots of muscles relax, letting the belly be loose, feeling you even put your hands on your belly or your chest to feel the sense of the breathing, and just kind of contemplating like that. So, you know, that's a you can so you can practice like that. Just kind of also just noticing how the mood shifts or the thinking mind shifts when you're in that particular position. <laughs> so, you know, we have some time now. Either so, those of you don't, if you don't have rooms up here, then just bear this in mind for some later time in the day and so either some walking standing reclining and we be here at uh, 10 for uh, another sitting <laughs>